for Pulse. So hello and welcome to episode four of the Digital uh, Doctor podcast. Um, I'm joined today by my co-host, Stephen. Say hello. Hello. Wake on. Say hello. Hi there. Good. We're all together. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> so we've had a little bit of a change from the last, uh, well, what we said we we're going to do on the last podcast, um, mainly because we couldn't think of, think of anything to say. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the title of this uh, podcast is going to be Bringing Lab Results to Life. So that may be a little bit cryptic to some. So, of course, Wei Kong is going to explain what that actually means. Oh, yes. So um, being a hematologist and in my current job, I basically live in the lab and I stare at results um, my whole in the whole day. So I kind of very passionate about this particular subject. So we all, you know, lab results is one of the things that we access most in hospitals and almost all patients in hospitals get um, tests every single day and, and doctors every day. We go through a routine of checking the results. Now, I always thought that when we check results using the computer, it's actually really quite a boring process. And, and the results itself doesn't really mean anything. It has to be seen in context with previous results, about how the patient is doing clinically, about what medications they are on. But we just tolerate, you know, result system that, that just shows us numbers. And we even get very excited when it can draw a graph of numbers over time. Surely we have to expect more from this, you know. Uh, so I don't know what you think, Stephen. I mean, do you, any ideas how to make this more interesting? Yeah, well, you <laughs> reminded me of a time, actually. I, I forgot you were a haematologist. And uh, I, I did a couple of months of haematology doing my medical training. And I remember my consultant was so insistent that we draw a graph. And it's so useful for something like haematology, where you're looking at, you know, lots of different cell indices. And you want to see how things are going over time. Maybe you've got someone with CLL or something, and you're just mm -hmm. monitoring them. And... Um, and I'm not proud of it, but I did use Microsoft Excel once and I made this really nice, you know, spreadsheet and, uh, you know, we were able to plot uh, things over time. And my consultant was, he was, he was so impressed with me, gave me a really good report and I was very happy. And um, you know, it shouldn't really be left to, to some doctor to take the initiative. Um, That's really geeky, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> well, but of course, of course, what we do now is just compensate, isn't it? You, you basically have uh, the poor junior doctors have this grid of this sheet of paper where they have to copy the results from the computer onto this piece of paper and then so that they can see a trend of results. And what yeah. we do with a computer is that we just try to recreate this piece of paper on a computer. I mean, what a waste of all those processing power given I, all the information that's I there. I will never, ever forget my first week as an F1 in a well-known West London hospital um, and doing gastroenterology, having to copy into the blood book. The blood book. The blood book all of these results for every single patient from a digital system into a written system. And actually looking at the time, it's like when you start as a junior doctor, the most junior doctor in the hospital, you're like, oh, that's just one of my jobs. I've just got to get on with it. Um, mm. And then after a week, you start to resent it. And after two weeks, you start to really resent it. After three weeks, you start to get bitter about it. And then after four weeks, you just sort of say, well, this is ridiculous and you stop doing it. But just the, 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 the stupidness of the system where we have a digital on the screen printout of results that actually is displayed chronologically so you can see the trends and what are we doing we're going to each patient at the end of the day printing out a piece of paper and then writing it physically 
from the computer into the into the uh, into the notes. And I think maybe it's worth exploring why. I mean, what what are the things that are driving? Because that still happens. I know that still happens. Yep. Um, you know what? What are the? Why would I think it might be difficult for people to understand why you'd ever want to do that? I mean, what's the driver for that thing? Is it the consultants? The fact they like to have this blood book that's just given to them? Is it? Is it the just the printing out of the um, the printing out from the systems that are available? The IT systems are just very poor and aren't able to display the data in a way that can be put in the notes or can be filed in a certain way. I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys have any ideas about. Yeah, I think it's about context. Um, so lots of different firms do things in different ways, and there are two things I think going on: is that when you're doing a ward round, you need the information there and then, and most hospitals don't have a sort of mobile platform that you can carry with you. It's go to a computer terminal and look up the results. And some people, you know, you have computer on wheels or cows, you wheel around with you. And some consultants are very, you know, fond of them. Mm. They're fond of their cows. Um, but also. You're right, I think, in saying, yes, the systems that we have at the moment can tabulate data over time, but you can not they're not very flexible. You can't manipulate exactly what you want, and you can't get the context of, I need to know these three results, and I need to know them over the last three weeks, and I need to know what they were two years ago, all that kind of yep. thing. Um, it's very difficult to do, and, and if you do it yourself with an Excel spreadsheet or with a Bloods folder or Bloods book, um, you can get exactly what you want. I think you're absolutely right. The context is absolutely everything, isn't it? But if you actually talk to the, the software companies that produce the flow the blood flow sheets, which is exactly the digital version of the of the tables on paper, there is a facility to be able to customize what they show. But they turn off that facility because they say, Can you imagine the nightmare scenario where they will allow every single doctor or every single team to customize a particular version? They say they just do not have the resources to do that and that's just too complicated. Well, they're certainly getting paid enough, in my in my experience, to have the resources to do that. But anyway, that's completely that's another that's another <laughs> completely separate podcast about. <laughs> um, I mean, I think you know to answer your original question, Ed. I think part of the reason why the paper still survives at the end of the day is because it's fast. You can cramp a lot of information on one sheet of A4, which makes it very difficult on a computer screen. But I think much more important than that is you can write comments on the side. For example, you could have both the combination of uh, blood results with the medications the patient are on or whether they are unwell or whether they've had three or four units of blood so you could see why a particular hemoglobin might have gone up or down. So those additional rich information brings, if you like, the results to life. So if I see, for example, that someone's hemoglobin does not change and they didn't have treatment, I say, well, that's good because the condition is stable. But if the hemoglobin does not change, but I've actually given a treatment to want to increase it, then that's a disappointment. So with, you know, with electronic records now, we should be able to bring all these contacts to 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 blood results. Well, I think this is. I think a much deeper issue here, which we should probably talk about, is why is it that you know the, these features what are not in these systems? You know, the, the, these the companies are, are building healthcare systems which are essentially, you know, providing um, interfaces into a, a, a database, but mm-hmm. the way that they're showing this information to the people who need them. Is completely not fit for purpose, and it's so yeah. not fit to purpose that those group of people are resorting to copying it physically from the screen mm. onto a piece of paper. So, 
what do we need to do? I mean, do we need to be encouraging these companies to engage more with clinicians? Do we, I mean, and how do we do that? Uh, you know, to, to build systems that actually, you know, user interfaces, I should say, for this data that actually are meaningful to physicians. I mean, I, I think it's, um, I mean, a lot of these systems are built by a company that specializes in development, not necessarily design. And with a lot of websites and web apps out there, you know, there's, there's a you know, whole branch of computer science dedicated to interface design and human-computer interaction. And I don't think there's very much of that thought going into medical IT systems. And I don't think that many of the doctors, even there are clinical advisors, yeah, but you can't just ask the one or two consultants in the hospital who are interested. You really need you know, people on the ground using it, trying different things. And that's where the human computer interaction comes in. You know, how are people using these sites? And there are these things you can get now that, that scan your eye movements to see where you're looking on a page. Um, to You know, primarily the driver for these were websites knowing where to place ads. But, I mean, you can use that kind of thing to to work out what information is necessary, where do we put things, how do we visualize data? Because we've all seen... I don't know if you haven't if you haven't seen a blood printout. You, I mean, you could just Google blood test results and just click on images, and you'll see some horrendous things. They're usually mm. typed in the uh, sort of monospace courier font yeah. or something like that <laughs> in a long list table, and there's a few dates, and it's really hard. And I think the IT systems haven't really moved on. It's just a standard HTML table, and it looks awful, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's. I guess we are kind of doctors or clinicians or whatever you call us are partly responsible for this because whenever we imagine an IT system, we just imagine a replacement for the paper. We do not think about what digitized information, the opportunities it potentially create. And I think that is the problem. And we don't think also about why we look at results for. I mean, we don't look at results for our curiosity. We look look at results because we want to make a decision for a particular patient. And and now that we collect so much electronic data, we should be able to to bring, let's say, prescription data in. For example, if you see that someone's white cell count is dropping, you could ask yourself a question very easily. Is this due to a new medication that started? If you can just overlay the two pieces of information together. Like Things sort of, like that. Like a Facebook timeline or, almost of medical information that's streaming in from multiple sources. You know, I, 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 it's interesting you say that because I, I um, in my development work, I, I have a sort of, uh, I can't remember what the program is called, but I have a sort of uh, a feed which basically gives me information about the activity within my business. So mm. for particular projects. So at any one time, I get a whole load of things streaming from Basecamp, which is a project management tool. I get uh, my developers who have made commits to our, our software repository system, Git, uh, streaming in as well. And it kind of is a bit like the system that I think when I was a clinician, I would have loved to have had in a hospital, mm. whereby I could look at a patient and basically there was all of these pieces of information coming in from different systems, but all mm. in one stream. You know, so there might be, something from the drug management system telling me that patient has started on this chemotherapeutic drug. And then there might be lab results coming in in real time. And, and I would be able to see in a timeline, you know, that, that this patient has started on this drug and then their white cell count, you know, over the next three days or four days had, had, started, to, had started to decline. And, mm. and, 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 and in my fantasy world, you know, it would, even, it would get more meaningful 
you know, so that you would almost be able to, you know, uh, create different colours of of importance for various things and and ranks. You know, when the blood when the blood when the whites have got below a critical point, it could become red. And then, you know, when the, a drug started, a new drug that might have an effect on a white cell count, that would also be in red. So suddenly you're, you're developing a really meaningful user interface. Um, and that's, that's the power. Like, these, this data is there. Um, I'm, I'm doing a project at the moment in, in, in Brighton. And I'm not sure how much I can say about it. But essentially, it, it, it involves interfacing with an already existing NHS system. Mm-hmm. Um, where all the data, even though the software has been developed by a third party, all the data is stored in a simple yep. My- MySQL database. Yeah. And you find this actually at, with most systems that actually most of these blood systems, most of these patient record systems, the data is stored in simple standardized databases. So actually, it's not that difficult for third parties to come along as long as the trust says okay, because the trust owns access to the database. They might not own the, the program that's proprietary, the blood program or the x-ray program or whatever, but they do own the data. And if, if developers could come along and just access that data, much like I'm doing in my project at the moment, you can get this stuff out relatively easily. You know, I think a lot of people when they, and we're going to a different topic here, I realize, but when they think of this problem, they immediately hit the brick wall of, well, you know, if I want to build a system, I'm going to have to get it to communicate with all these other systems Mm. designed by multiple third parties. When in fact, actually a lot of the data exists already. It's there in databases. And if one can get it out. I think this leads on very nicely, actually, to something called smart platforms. So you mentioned about developing applications to kind of bring uh, bring data to life. Now, because the, the 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 example that you use there, um, Ed, is fine. Just that every single hospital's uh, database or data warehouse stores the information using different semantics and different uh, sure, values and sure. things. So you're going to have to like customize your application for every single database. Well, so you would yes, so, so, yes, and no. I mean, yeah. I think I think. Ultimately, you know, that you're still your your system that you're building is looking to get a certain set of results out. Yep. So that's yep. one side of the data. And it's only one database adapter which says, okay, this thing in our program matches to this thing in this hospital's database. Yes, Ed, but the thing is, one hospital's sodium is different from the other next hospital's sodium. Yes, but, but those things are, are, are very easy to define, is what I'm saying. You don't have to right. rebuild the entire piece of software. All right. You yeah, have okay. a single file, which is simply a database adapter, which allows you to transmorph their database structure into your database structure, which is constant from site to site to site. Right. Yeah, just with the risk of going off topic. I think there's still the issue there about definitions of even, let's say, what is a blood pressure. But... But let's go back to my original point, is that there is an initiative in Harvard at the moment to actually build something called smart platforms. And what smart platforms is, is that it's actually a, a data, uh, an XML kind of definition of things such as um, drugs, allergies, uh, blood results, and blood pressure readings, which then um, allows any applications built for it um, to use data on individual patients. For example, you could say, right, what is my cardiovascular risk? 
So what, what happens is that your application will go, uh, will know how to look for that information. For example, age, whether you smoke, whether you're overweight, medications you're on, and give you a cardiovascular risk score. And there are organizations already who are making their database uh, onto a smart platform compatible format, if you get what I mean. So, so for example, the, uh, the, the veterans... Um, affairs, uh, the VA health system can already interface with the smart platforms. So you don't have to have any understanding of the underlying data structure of the VA's database. You just need to build applications for the smart platforms and and and, and it works. And the, the, the URL is going to be on our show notes and you should at least explore some of the galleries to look at the possibilities that, that this can potentially create. What I think is about those, really, I mean, there's a wealth of data there. And I think that there's lots of different points where changing the way we view information will be beneficial. So I think it'd be beneficial for patients if we could show them, look, this is what your blood pressure is doing. And I'm working with um, Dr. Patrick Harnett at the moment at South End Hospital. He's a renal physician on, on exactly that. So informing patients of how to make lifestyle changes, giving them some power and control over, over their own health. Um, and it's good for doctors as well. So doctors need to make decisions. They need to make decisions on trends. And also, mm. it's going to be incredibly useful for big data and research as well. If we can start visualizing these things in different ways. I think the Smart Platforms Initiative, I've not seen it, but from what you've described, it sounds like a step towards that, certainly. Well, it's interesting, Stephen. I mean, when you said that, Wei Kong, it's something that Stephen and I had discussed a couple of years ago without even realizing it. We talked about a sort of universal... XML sort of standardized format for for handing over a patient from from, yep. from one doctor to another, and I think it, it's really interesting because and it, what's really interesting to me is why this hasn't happened sooner. So why is it you know when it comes to like in the in web world you know they had HTML you know forever like a standardized way of presenting yeah. data to make it semantic, you know why is it taking so long for us to figure out ways of of standard ways of encapsulating hierarchical data about patients so that we can share these things in such a way that they're easily passed by systems if they subscribe to that standard. Yeah, I think um, I think that's actually a whole show in itself, isn't it? So I don't think yeah. we should dwell yeah. on that a bit too much. No, but I but, think um, it's, it's an interesting thing just to put out there, just, you know, to, to for people to think about, you know, why, why is that? You know, we might not answer it now, but we may answer it in a separate show. But I, I yep. think that, that that is an interesting question in the healthcare arena is why are we relatively, you know, why are we relatively slow? And why is it relatively difficult to get things like this sorted? So, so kind of bringing it back onto our topic of bringing lab results to life. Um, one thing that is actually quite exciting, which I think may actually happen if everything goes well and the government and the NHS commissioning board does their job well, is that by 2015, the government has committed that all patients will have full access to their GP records. This includes letters and, of course, includes, you know, CT, uh, all their radiology results and all their lab results as well. Now, the, the way it happens now is that you can get, like, web access to your records and you see your blood results in that horrible tabular format that we talk about. 
But the vision is actually much more interesting than that. What they want to do is to actually not just create a portal, a web portal that you can just go and have a look at the data. They actually want to be able to free the data and then create application program interfaces for developers to create applications so that patients can have a choice of how they want to view their data and how they want to use their data. So you can imagine that creates a whole new market for people to create applications for diabetes monitoring, which would be different for COPD, that would be different for, I don't know. So what are you hoping that, that, that someone who knows how to program, maybe an interface designer will get hold of their own data and say, let's hack it up to make it look pretty? Oh, uh, no, absolutely. And also becomes, you know, if you create something that can really help people understand their own data and, and then by changing their lifestyle or medications or something, see how that changes and helps them understand it. You know, it's a real it's in it's a it's a real opportunity for innovation. It's a, yeah. it's an opportunity for innovation, but I think it's also an opportunity for great danger as well. Because okay, if we say to suddenly developers, okay, here we go, here's all the data, present it how you'd like to the patients or how the patients want it. The patients don't necessarily know the 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 way that data needs to be presented to make it meaningful. And, uh, no. and, and developers don't know that either. Believe me. Oh, no, absolutely. Now, developers, are, you can't actually, the developers will provide the technical know-how and define what's possible and what's not possible. But you will need patients and clinicians and developers working together to create these solutions. And one, but the point you bring up, Ed, about once applications become, in effect, if you're using real patient data, they become medical devices. Now, how are you going to regulate it? So mm. one of the things that one of the things that um, Tim Kelsey, who's currently the director of patients and information of the NHS Commissioning Board, is he wants to create. He calls it the NHS App Store. Basically, it's a a series of um, applications that have been checked for how accurate they are and how valid they are that doctors can then prescribe to their patients knowing confidently that experts have looked at it and saying that these applications are accurate and based that, on that's complicated because we're, we're, we're going from a, a partnership you know that's sort of crossing the boundaries between a partnership model of healthcare and a paternalistic model so on the one hand you're saying to patients look your data is available do with it what you will but on the other hand you're saying well actually i'm going to take the paternalistic side of this relationship as a gp and prescribe you a way of accessing your data so that it might suit me you know, so I think I think there's some crossover there, isn't there? Yeah, well, I suppose. Um, and I think you you raise a good point, Ed, in that you know tests need to be interpreted with mm-hmm. a clinician. So you can't just give people access to the results and they'll go and start googling and finding out yeah. what exactly they mean. Like the the PSA test, for example, is a, is a classic example. You know, you get all sorts of people worried about prostate cancer because their PSA is slightly elevated. Or perhaps someone who drinks a lot, has normal liver function tests, believes their liver is is not at risk from cirrhosis, when in fact, if you do an ultrasound, you will see um, mm, that mm. cirrhosis is happening. There are all sorts of things like that. Um, or perhaps someone's cholesterol, they're on a statin, it's very low, and um, their cholesterol, you know, they'll start Googling, my cholesterol's too low, and that's associated with diseases like, you know, cerebral hemorrhages and all sorts of things. So bad stuff does come out of it. Um, and I suppose it's up to us to try and 
develop these kinds of things. I mean, it's up to sort of our generation of doctors. It's up to, you know, it's not just us three, but, you know, there's a the whole generation <laughs> of doctors out there that, that we, need to, we need to try and spearhead initiatives like uh, some of the things we've been talking about to try and um, make things better. Even a couple of years ago, and um, this is worth looking at, um, someone very prominent in the data visualization field is David McCandless. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's got a book called Information is Beautiful and a website of the same name. And he's also got a personal website as well. Have a look at it. It's brilliant. Great coffee table um, book. Uh, but there's one on visualizing blood tests that he, is on his website. And it was 2010, I think. Um, it was a Wired US competition. So the Wired magazine had a competition. They took this awful looking report and, and made it look very nice. Um, almost sort of an infographic kind of style. And some of the things on it I just don't agree with. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a step in the right di- direction. But some of the way they've presented the data and some of the things um, that they've given, they've tried to give advice in the same kind of thing. But you can tell that it's not been done in conjunction with a doctor. Or maybe it was. Um, I, I hope it wasn't. But um, it's interesting. So a word of, warn- a word of warning there, I suppose. Um but the thing is, for people who have present, for companies that have been giving patients access to their data and lab results and stuff, it I guess it's just a whole new way of working. And all the risk that we talk about, for example, misinterpreting people over varying, does not seem to actually get borne out. And I think we sometimes and un- and un- we sometimes uh, underestimate, I suppose, the c- capabilities of others to, if given the right help and advice and guidance to be able to understand their data. And, you know, places like Renal Patient View have been giving um, access to blood results to their patients for nearly 10 years now. And um, one of the most amazing thing that one of the founders of Renal Patient View said is that the consultations for patients who have access to their results to understand it has now shifted from discussing the past, i.e. doctors, what's my results, about discussing the future it's like i know these are my results so what should we do about it now and you know things like that can really change the way we practice medicine in my opinion for the better i agree but i think you know certainly when i was doing general practice you know a very large proportion of my time in fact i would say the majority of my time was spent dealing with the uncertain and dealing with the worried well and dealing with doing a set of blood tests on somebody often simply because there was nothing else to do and that's what they wanted. And I think that, yes, there are these highly motivated groups of, of patients who do get very involved in the management of their own diseases, and quite rightly so. I mean, diabetics, COPD, uh, renal patients, as, as you bring up. But I think there's also another group of, of patients, and you know, this is something I experience in general practice all the time. You know, and this was just for patients with symptoms and access to Google who are able to bring in you know, reams of paper describing their conditions and and the worried wealth phenomenon just exploded if they also had access to their blood test results and were able to you know for example someone with Gilbert syndrome who had um, uh, you know a, a raised bilirubin with no other abnormal liver function tests uh, and access to, to google suddenly is able to you know, come into the consultation with four times the thickness of paper describing every single liver yeah. disease i mean you know, it would make it very difficult wouldn't it I just, it, you know, interpreting blood tests is something that really, it takes more than six years. You know, I, I wasn't really good at interpreting blood tests or, or even, I would say, capable of interpreting a blood test and with, with any sort of scope, bearing in mind the patient situation, their past history 
and also the the actual blood tests themselves, you know, until I was well in to my foundation training, you know, and I, I just, I just worry with the limited resources, certainly that we have in the UK and the 10 minutes of 10 minute consultation time that most GPs have to look after their patients. And whatever, I know that you two both come from a, a secondary care setting, but, and, and things are a little bit different there, but, you know, I, I would just really worry about the, the, the ability of our service to cope with that. But saying that, you know, I do think the patient should have access to the data and should take ownership of their data. I think we should recognise, I mean, I, when I did do a stint of general practice during my foundation training, and I think the the kind of Google uh, or, or sort of search engine consultation kind of gets masked because what tends to happen is the patient has some symptoms, they'll go on the internet, search them, then they'll have an idea about what they think they should ask and what they think they may have and they come into the to the clinic they give a list of symptoms sometimes perhaps the the gp might tilt the screen and maybe have a little google themselves mid consultation and then offer some advice based on what they find and then they both go away and they both start googling what they've just done and and i think that needs to be recognised that, that that patients have there's inflammation online, and I not always, but as, as as much as I could, try to to have a dialogue with the patient. And say, look, you know, these are the resources that I would look at. These are resources that I use. If you want some information, these are my trusted websites. Go to these. Um, and I found that always worked very well. And I think it's I I definitely appreciate your concern, Ed, and it scares me more than anyone. But um, I think we need to change some of the ways that we, we interact with our patients and, and kind of recognize the fact that they're going to be looking stuff up online. It's inevitable. I agree with that, but I think, I think lab data, if we were to choose one thing to share with the patients, yeah. lab, lab data should probably be fairly close to the bottom of that list. And yeah. yes, give them ownership of the clinical record, give them ownership of the vaccination record, the past medical history, make that more available to other clinicians. So, for example, you know, uh, I'm a type one diabetic. If I break my leg up in Edinburgh, it's very difficult at the moment for someone. It's almost impossible for someone if I'm unconscious for them to know I'm a type one diabetic and to get access to that information simply from having my name, uh, yeah. you know, and and that to me is a bigger data problem than giving patients access to the lab results stuff, which is actually relatively, okay, give them access to the, the, our interpretation and our, our notes that we've made on the lab results information. Um, but I, I think that the, the, the raw data is difficult. I don't know. I, I, I would disagree with that because I, I think we underestimate what patients are able to handle and a lot of, and the vast majority of people are quite sensible and they, they wouldn't, go and overinterpret everything. The worried well will always be wor- uh, worried about anything. It does it, it would it was not only about their health, it would be about I don't know, about their dog, about their cat. You know, it's they, that population is never going to change. And I think we have a responsibility to give the data and help people interpret the data as best as we can. And in the websites like lab tests online and stuff are quite well recommended for patients to go to help them interpret their lab results. And that's what Reno Patient View uses. They have a link next to every single test so that patients can go there. And, you know, the fear that you, you've expressed Ed, hasn't hasn't been borne out in all the organizations that have been giving patients access to their lab results. In fact, and you know, on the flip side, when people look at their own abnormal blood results, they catch a lot of abnormal blood lab results which have significance which the doctors have missed 
as well. So that's the other side of it. Where, I mean, I don't, I don't think we should be just giving people access to their data. You know, here's all your data. Go and have at it on the internet and see what you come up with. Come back to me. I think we should be doing this in conjunction <laughs> with each other. You know, you know, and and perhaps you know we sh- we shouldn't have. I mean, the screens that we use are their computers, their, you know, the keyboard and everything is designed for the doctor to sit in front of the computer and to type away and the patient to sit there and not really look at the screen. And if you're in a bank or, or the surgery, sometimes I'll tilt the screen to you as a sort of gesture. That's very nice. But I mean, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a place for interaction design there too. I mean, what if we could sit in front of a big screen, a touch screen with our patients and show them, look, this is your, this was your, blood test results six months ago and we made these changes you started this medication it's come down very nicely those kinds of things um have you guys heard of edward uh what's his name no, hang on it's it's uh yeah edward twifty no go on and he's like the, the, the godfather. godfather yeah i that's he's the godfather he's a statistician and um and sort of computer scientist visualization visualization scientist and um he has got some really neat ideas. Um, if you haven't heard of him, go and, go and um, search for him. He, he's really worth reading. He's got a couple of books out about uh, explaining quanti- uh, quantitative data and evidence, uh, sort of telling a story. And I think those kinds of things. Um, he's got this thing called spark lines as well, which are supposed to be, they're sort of mini little graphs. Have a look at them, Google them. They're sort of mini graphs that appear in line with text that show whether things are going up or down. But they're just so great at showing you, for example, your diabetic control over the last three months, those kinds of things. I think we should be engaging with patients in a different way. I think we should be showing them their data. You know, have you ever shown anyone their scans or, you know, their the, x-rays? It's great, isn't the, it? It's, it's great. I, I remember that um, when I was in my hospital two years ago and I was rolling out electronic prescribing and they wanted to test whether iPads work. So I, I was the first doctor in the hospital walking around with an iPad and getting direct access to the lab results. So I walk into the patient's room with my iPad and sit next to them and show, look at how your white count has gone up. Look at how your CRP has, has gone down. That shows that the, you know, the antibiotics are working. This is why you're feeling better. But we still got a way to go. And, you know, that the patient has been in hospital for a whole month under a different team. And I was seeing her as a referral. And that just brought so much more life to the conversation. And I think, you know, the, the, the point you brought up, um, Stephen, about showing patients results in the consultation room, as you say, at the moment, we just put them over a screen and the whole interface is actually designed for the doctor. Yeah. But I, I would love to have a consultation room where I just have two gigantic screens where I will stand up and effectively almost present the patient's data back to them in a very interactive way and the screen will always be seen by everyone all the time i think that would be amazing um and i think that can create a lot of you know quite interesting opportunities i think this is so difficult isn't it because you know we are you know we are at one end of the spectrum of doctors and uh, in terms of engagement with it you know Mm -hmm. and and the, the, the difficulty is creating a synergy between the progress of this data and the doctors being able to use it you know and and 
Well, that's the whole. But that's the point, isn't it? Like my my dad was scared of computers, and he wouldn't turn it on. But because the iPad has make it yeah. so simple to turn it on, and for him to use his finger just to send an email to check text and stuff, he's his his whole interaction with technology has changed. And you you know, technology is not far away now for us to just draw a graph on on a, on a screen and and intersperse that with a few you know dates for outpatients or surgery. Um, in fact, if you go to the Open Eyes website, okay, if you go to the Open Eyes website, which is an open source electronic patient record that Morpheus is rolling out, they've got a module that that is called Graph, and what it does is that it plots the visual acuity from the right and left eye into, which is then overlaid with what eye drop that was given, and when the patient has surgery. So you could see the visual acuity change as they change eye drops and when they have surgery. And you could see the moment someone has a cataract, the visual acuity just goes back up to normal. But it's exactly those kind of things which I think you know, really brings it, hammers home things. And the other thing is, uh, so what if, Wei Kong, uh, uh, you, you tried to show the patient that lovely data, but actually they'd started the right eye drop. You know it's the right eye drop because you've seen the trials. Yeah, you've read the evidence. You know it's the right eye drop for this patient for their condition. Population-based trials have shown you that randomized control trials. But actually, the patient's vision continues to deteriorate. Then you're left with trying to console a patient, saying, "Look, I know you're on the right drug, but here's a really nice graph showing how your vision's getting worse and worse and worse." And it's very difficult in that situation. I think there's even more scope to go in and visualizing the data from randomized control trials and research, and saying, "Look, you know." Um, out of this many people, if we start you on this medication, this is what it will do for you. And, and in that decision-making process, but there's an opportunity to visualize information again. And I must point out, they've um, seen the QRIS calculator. So it's really, really basic, really simple. But QRISC is a cardiovascular um, prediction uh, uh, calculator and you put certain factors in it like blood pressure smoking whether mm. rheumatoid arthritis tells you the percentage of people who will have a cardiac event uh, myocardial infarction within the next five or ten years mm. um, like the Framingham calculation yeah. but also there's a little graphic and it's got a hundred smiley faces to start off with you enter your data in and all of a sudden half the faces will turn to a red horrible miserable face and I think that's quite easy for people to understand. You know, that's a decision-making tool based on best available evidence. Yeah. We want to start this medication because if we do, you get another 10 smiley faces taken off. That's yeah. what it will do. So, I mean, there's lots of things we can use visualization for, not just showing lab results, but, you know, showing patients data, yeah, helping I mean, with decision-making. I can imagine an interface where you're showing someone a graph of their cholesterol on an iPad. And mm-hmm. at each point... Um, there is a little plus icon above and you press the plus icon and you click on one of the drugs. You click on a potential drug that you could start and then you click on that drug and then it, it, it extrapolates so it's integrated from the trial data what yep. the improvement would be. Yeah, you're um, a 42-year-old Caucasian male with hypertension and we know from the Resuvastatin trials that if you start this drug, your yeah. blood pressure will go down. And it will yeah. plot it. It will plot it. You know, It will plot what the predicted would be. Um, and you know that that's 
I mean, that would just be amazing, wouldn't it? Just to be able so, 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 just to bring to your point, so the cardiovascular risk calculator demo on smart platforms, I've actually played with the actual device on the iPad. It's, it's exactly what it is. It presents you your data, and then it's on sliders. And as and you can use your finger, and as you move your slider up and down, it changes your risk profile. So you know that if I were to stop smoking, for me, how much impact that would have on my health. How many more smiley faces do I get for stopping smoking? Uh, something like that, yeah, exactly. So people are doing it, and, and, and I guess that's the whole point. If you've got like a platform like the smart platforms, which is open to all, the data structure is there, and you just allow people to develop things for it, it's potentially quite, you know, you, you see innovation happen much quicker. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think we deviated slightly from our conversation, but I well, guess I don't it's... think I don't think this is all about this is only bringing lab results to life. I mean, I think we've really talked more about bringing data to life, you know, uh, mm. you know, and the, the, the problems with that, and 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 some possible solutions, and how we'd like to see things in in an ideal world with all the medical data that we have to deal with as clinicians on a day to day basis. And actually, I guess the lab results is a good place to start because of all the things in our hospitals that has been digitized lab results were the first to be done yeah so actually that is a very ripe area to start working because we have the richest and longest data set compared to all the other systems let's do it we're building up a big task of things to do aren't we here <laughs> every time we have one of these podcasts i start thinking about products that i could build but yeah. <laughs> there's only one of you out there there's yeah. only one <laughs> thank goodness well, yeah, you're probably right there. <laughs> right, so I think we're pretty much coming to the end of this conversation um, and our, on our time. Um, I think, I think, I think Wei Kong wanted to say something about the Digital Doctor Conference. Right, so um, I don't believe it's actually just three weeks, three, less than three weeks to the Digital Doctor Conference. Uh, we're quite excited at the response that we've had so far and I think we finalized the schedule, Ed. Is that right? We have. So if you go to thedigitaldoc.co.uk forward slash schedule, then you'll see the, uh, the schedule for the two days. The first day um, is very much focused on how, as a doctor, you can use IT tools to become more productive. So Stephen is going to talk about... Inbox Zero, the amazing Inbox Zero. Oh, uh, oh, oh. Wei Kong is going to talk about you know using feeds to keep up to date. Uh, I'm going to talk about getting things done and OmniFocus and things and all this sort of stuff. Uh, Anne Marie Cunningham um, is going to talk about social networking, and she's definitely the right person to be talking about social networking if you follow us on Twitter and follow her. If you don't, you should. Um, and yeah, we've just got a lot of great productivity stuff on that first Saturday. And then going on to the Sunday, we're taking a deep dive into uh, more of the development side of things. We've got some great keynote speakers talking about anatomy and physiology of NHS IT in both the Q Hospital and the community. And then we're doing a whole series of plenaries on, on understanding uh, IT um, the basics of IT, but interestingly, we're taking a, a certain approach to that. So we're going to show things that clinicians will be familiar with, like data, uh, and show them and introduce IT using that context to make it much more relevant. Um, and in the afternoon, we've got a whole uh, set of ideas factories where people can go to different streams of sessions, 
get into groups, develop ideas, just provide a real space for, for talking about things that they're thinking of. And then at the end of the day, we're, we're hosting a, a chair panel discussion where um, people can present their ideas and then you know, people who have more experience in, in actually developing them and implementing them in hospital can then, can then talk about them a little bit more. And of course, the, the thing about the whole the second day is that we came out of this idea months before the, the government decides to hijack it and call it Code for Health. So we're doing it now and you've got the opportunity <laughs> to get ahead with the rest of your colleagues. Because, uh, you know... Tell us more about Code for Health. So Code, Code for Health is an initiative uh, that uh, Tim Kelsey, who is now the, you know, he used to be the open data czar for the cabinet office and the government, but now he has a job as the director of patients and information in the NHS commissioning board. So he has a very important influential role on how IT and information is used. And his, his background is of, a, he's a journalist as a background. And then he, he, his company, Dr. Foster's, that a lot of you will be uh, familiar about the mm -hmm. uh, hospitals guide. So his company started that off and now he's given it up. He's now given responsibility nationally to lead on on health information. So he's quite taken by the model called Code for America that's happened in America where a lot of the local councils and things have trained some of their their own staff to to think about data and to have some basic coding. So then they start creating applications, uh, for example, to report you know broken potholes or scaffoldings that are about to fall and to feed data back. And I guess I've he's quite that. Yeah, so I guess he's quite keen to create some a similar kind of things uh, to 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 encourage clinicians to have more insight into data and what data can do and give them a few simple insight and tools to help them think about it. Hopefully, they can work closer and better with software developers. So that's that's what Code for Health is. Uh, it's just something. Mm. Uh, Edward Tifte would not be happy with the uh, the slide slide presentation that he's got on the Code for Health website. Have you seen the presentation? Yeah, yeah. I like it. It looks all right. Edward <laughs> Tuesday would not be best pleased, though. You need to put the link on the show notes so that we can have a look at which one you're referring it's there. to. It's in the robot. All right. It's already there. Cool. Right. I think um, when is our next podcast? In two and a half weeks' time, isn't it? It'll be, it'll be just before the. We should try and get one more in before the Digital Doctor Conference. Right, excellent. Which, and, is, which uh, is on the 1st and 2nd of December. Are we taking suggestions via Twitter now? We are taking suggestions via Twitter. That's not because we've run out of topics. We've got, we've got, we've got lots. About 25 topics or something, yeah. <laughs> we've got about 25, but I don't, know, I, I don't know which one to pick. And I'm not, I don't have a good track record of picking interesting <laughs> topics. I tend to pick boring, horrible, nerdy things. No, we're warming up to your suggestions, Steve. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's uh, it's, it's good night from tonight to this episode from me. Yes, and me too. And um, yeah, do check us out on uh, digitaldoctor.co.uk and our various subscribe to the feed if you want. And um, we'll be back at you in about two weeks with another podcast. We'll see you then. Bye bye. 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 Check for Pulse.